Hello and good morning. I have to say it's nice to be here and to have moved into this community. And I'm sure that some of you have thought, oh, there goes the neighborhood. But I promise to be a good citizen. I hope that uh, there's nothing outrageous that comes about. Kim and I know many of you, and we hope to get to know you all that much better. This process of, of us moving to Carmen began probably about two years ago when we first put our house on the market. We had been talking on and off about we needed to downsize. And uh, so we started the process. We put our house on the market. The real estate agent came out, put a price on the house and the, and the yard. And we were all excited that, you know, because we were confident that what we had in Ross Hall was a very, very nice place. And it is, it was just not at the price that she put on it. So a year went by and the contract ran out and uh, so we pulled it off the market. And then a house came up in here that we missed out on and we thought, okay, we gotta get our house back in the market. So we put it on at a reduced price and boy, the, the, the hits came just bingo, bango, bongo really quick. And then the one family decided to purchase the home uh, with no conditions, just we want this place. So God was looking after us. Uh, in the meantime, we were looking at different homes in that here in Carmen, and nothing was really striking with us, so we decided to, to build and started that process. And we sold our house December 5th, 2020. We've been living on Garrett Lee's farm out at, uh, just outside of Starbucks, or I guess between Starbucks and Sanford, for the last 10 months. And here we are. And we're thankful to be here. It's nice cooking in our own kitchen and sleeping in our own bed and sitting on our own couch. I mean, all the things you take for granted. Um, it's nice to have all that back again. What I want to share with you this morning, it's, it's not a sermon that I have prepared. It's a, it was a study that I went through a few years ago. So these thoughts are not my thoughts. These thoughts are the, the writer of, of this study. But I thought it was very, very good, and, and I'm sure that what I have, I'm going to be sharing with you, you've all heard it before. But I just hope that in some way, maybe one little morsel that you haven't heard will stick with you, and we can go forward uh, knowing more about, about Jesus. The, the title of the, of the study that, uh, that I chose, and I had another sermon that I could have chosen, but I didn't have the, the PowerPoint with it, so that hopefully will come down the road at some point. When you think of someone as being wonderful, what does that mean to you? Well, some might think that it's someone who is always there for them. Someone might think that it's someone who manages to always say or do the right thing. It might be mother. Mother's wonderful. Fathers can be wonderful too. Grandmas are especially wonderful. I did a funeral service yesterday for a lady who was 98 years old. And according to her kids, her grandkids, great-grandkids, nieces, nephews, all who knew her, she was a wonderful, wonderful lady. And when you went online and looked at all the many online tributes on the funeral home website and Winnipeg Free Press passages, Many, many people had signed on and said, what a wonderful friend she was, what a great neighbor she was. This lady was a wonderful, wonderful person. I like to think that maybe I'm wonderful to, to somebody. And deep down, don't we all? 
think that, that we would like to be wonderful to, to somebody or be wonderful in some way. Or maybe we don't even think about it. Maybe we don't care about being wonderful. For the Christian, we believe that Christ, Jesus Christ our Savior is wonderful. And in fact, we have probably sung at some point and with gusto, a wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. Fanny Crosby, who was blind since the age of six weeks, wrote that song. She lived from 1820 to 1915, and she passed away from a surgical mishap. She has also written several other hymns, such as Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Tenderly Calling You Home, To God Be the Glory, Rescue the Perishing, Praise Him, Praise Him, all songs that we are familiar with. These hymns speak about protection through Jesus, and isn't that a wonderful concept? Isn't it wonderful that Fanny Crosby was blessed with the ability to write hymns despite her handicap and even have those hymns sung and enjoyed by millions and millions over the years and around the world? This morning I want to look at Jesus, our wonderful Savior, and just what it, what it is that makes us think that he is wonderful. Now, the thoughts I'm going to be sharing, as I mentioned, come from a study that uh, I had gone through several years ago, and I keep going back to over time just to kind of renew and review and refresh. I can't remember who led the study or provided the study. There's somewhere around 200 different titles and symbols that are applied to Jesus Christ within the Bible. For instance, in the New Testament, he is called the Son of God, the light of life, the light of the world, the bread of life that came down from heaven, the Alpha and Omega, the eternal word. And in the Old Testament, which has over 300 prophecies of Jesus, which were always speaking of him coming into this world, these prophets many times referred to him as the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Deliverer, the Holy One of Israel. And some of the inspired writers use poetic or figurative languages to describe Jesus as the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, and the bright morning star. All of these different names carry different meanings, which all apply to our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. But the one best description of Jesus is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This section of scripture really shows that Jesus truly is a wonderful Savior. And almost 700 years after Isaiah wrote these words, we see that a heavenly messenger announces the fulfillment of the coming Messiah in Matthew 1, chapter 20, or verse 20 through 23, which Wayne just read for us. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, <coughs> and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin will, will shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated from Hebrew, God with us. You see, Joseph was going to put Mary away. Well, send her away. Sounds kind of awful, put her away. But he was going to send her away since she was with child. And he didn't want her to face the ridicule and scorn 
of the people in the, in the community. So he was going to send her away. And then <coughs> the angel tells Joseph what's going on. And as you can see from verse 23, which is a quote from Isaiah 7, verse 14, Jesus would be called Emmanuel. The meaning of the, of the word is God with us. And this tells us that Jesus was indeed deity that would come in the form of flesh, and the name of Jesus itself means Savior. Jesus was both man and deity at the same time. The book of John bears this out well. As we read in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The word being spoken up here is referring to Jesus. And notice very carefully that not only the word was with God, the word was God. This shows us without a doubt that Jesus is also deity. Now John goes on and tells us exactly who this word was. In John chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. <coughs> Excuse me. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we can see that the anticipation of the Savior, or Messiah, spoken about over and over again by the Old Testament prophets, had finally come to be in the New Testament time as Jesus, our wonderful Savior, was born. To help us appreciate just how wonderful our Savior is, we need to take a look at a few more scriptures that really bring out how much love he truly had for each and every one of us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for, he, for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus had all the comforts and blessings that go along with being deity and being in heaven. Yet he left heaven to come to this earth to become poor, so that you and I might become rich with spiritual blessings. According to Hebrews 2, verse 9, Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. Why? In verses 6 through 8, the writer of Hebrews quoted Psalms 8, 4 through 6. And Psalms 8, 4 through 6 reads, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands, and you put everything under their feet. Mankind was made a little lower than the angels, but given gracious respect and authority by God. This idea is connected in that the Messiah is fully human. His humanity is not a mark of shame, since God has shown so much favor to mankind as compared to angels. In fact, Jesus, Jesus' life as a man allowed him to fully experience human struggles. And this not only allows Christ to respond to us with compassion, Hebrews 2.18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It also means that he actually lived a human life and can therefore serve as a perfect high priest and conqueror over our sin. In other words, the reason that the promised one, Jesus, was made lower than the other spiritual beings in the sense of becoming human was so that he could obtain the greater victory. The entire purpose of his incarnation was in order to suffer death, but a death that would lead to eternal life for all mankind. In Philippians 2, 
verses 5 through 7. We read, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, <coughs> Excuse me. who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of, of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now many discussions have occurred on what it means when Jesus made himself of no reputation, or as some translations say, emptied himself. First off, notice that verse 6 is referring to the time before Jesus became flesh, showing that Jesus is indeed deity, and this is why he would not be considered a robber to be equal with God, because he was deity. But now he has come in the likeness of man. And what he emptied himself of was the glory that he had when he was with the Father. We can see this from Jesus' prayer in John 17, especially in, in verse 5, where he says, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus was looking forward to when he would, could have the glory that he had once had when he was in heaven before he became flesh. And again, this gives us a small idea of just what Jesus gave up so that he could be our wonderful Savior. Not only was he wonderful in the fact that he gave up his glory in heaven, he is also wonderful in how he lived his life here in this world. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This shows us the love that God has for us, because Jesus can understand the temptations that we have, and this makes him better prepared to know just how to help us in our time of need. Since Jesus has been through the same temptations that we have, he has a deeper compassion for those who are struggling with a sin. Let's continue reading as the next verse really points out this concept. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes his honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also God did not glorify himself to become a high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. I'm sure you've all heard the phrase, you have to walk a mile in someone's shoes to appreciate and understand what it is that Jesus has done for us. And there's such a great lesson for us to learn here from Jesus. There are so many people in this world that we do not understand because we have not taken the time to walk in their shoes or to get to know them or to understand them. It's easiest easy for us to point a finger at someone and laugh at them or call them names when we don't understand their circumstance. We see this happening more in younger children in public school, but more and more it seems to be happening amongst adults. Let me give you a, a fairly simple example. 
Young children like to make fun of those who wear glasses or those who are overweight. They don't ever consider that there may be a medical condition that the child may have with their eyes, nor do they consider that the overweight child is simply genetically bigger, or perhaps they're having to take medicine that causes them to gain weight. But if you take that child that has been making fun of those others, and they have to wear glasses, or they start to gain weight, now they understand how the other kids live and how what they are dealing with. And I feel confident that many of us have probably been, I know I have been in the position where we may have made fun of somebody or made a comment that, you know, out of trying to be funny, but actually you're just being rude. Um, and I'm thankful that age has taught me to be a little bit more humble, to be a little bit more understanding, and a lot less critical of others. And it's a lesson that I'm still learning, and it's one that has come with much angst when I realize the, the hurt and the pain that I have caused in the past, and I'm deeply, deeply ashamed of that. I think we can also read that a person who has walked in our shoes went through something like we have has a much deeper understanding of what we have been through and can be very helpful to us. For instance, a former drunk will understand what another struggling drunk is going through more perfectly than you or I could uh, understand what they're going through or what, they're, what the problem is. And Paul teaches the same concept in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8-9. through 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Be steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Here Paul is showing that we should stand fast in our faith in Christ and that we should resist the devil and his temptations because others in the church have been able to do it. So clearly we can see just how wonderful our Savior is because he has walked in our shoes, but he never sinned. Another wonderful thing about Jesus was the fact that he knew that he would have to face the cross and bear the sins of the world, yet he was willing to do this for each and every one of us. In Romans chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, for scarcely for a righteous man will die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Even though Jesus knew he was going to lay his life down for us in, in his humanity, we can see that he struggled with this a great deal, especially as we read in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 and 45. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little far farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them asleep, and he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me this one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time he went and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. 
Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Again, we can see Jesus really struggling here. We can only imagine how much sorrow and pain he was experiencing at this time, yet even in this stressful situation, he still allowed his Father's will to be his guide. From this point forward, Jesus will experience some of the greatest torture that a human could endure, all so that he could have freedom. We could have freedom from our sins. We know that many false witnesses came forward. They spoke against Jesus, that he was cursed, laughed at, mocked. He was beaten by the Jews. He was led around like a dog to Pilate and then on to Herod. He was dressed up by Herod's people and by Pilate's soldiers and made fun of, and he was also scourged, with, which was a very, very painful torture. One encyclopedia describes the scourging this way. It's a Roman implement for severe bodily punishment. It consisted of a handle to which several cords or leather bombs were affixed, which were weighted with jagged pieces of bone or metal to make the wolves more painful and effective. The victim was tied to a post. We read this in Acts 22 to 25. The blows were applied to the back and the loins and sometimes even in the wanton cruelty of the executioner to the face and to the bowels. In the tense position of the body, the effect can easily be imagined. Those pieces of metal and jagged bone would be ripping the flesh open, leaving deep, massive cuts and blood pouring out. So hideous was the punishment that the victim usually fainted and quite often died from it. Again, Jesus endured this harsh punishment for all mankind. <coughs> then he was led to the cross where nails were driven through his hands and his feet and left to struggle with great pain just to be able to breathe. With still more people yelling at him and mocking him. But as hard as all this was, I believe that the hardest thing Jesus went through was when the Father had to separate himself from his Son because of all the sin that he was bearing for you and I. That is why Jesus cried out in Matthew 27, verse 46, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, this is why Jesus is such a wonderful Savior, because he was even willing to face a temporary separation from the Father. And of course, Jesus is also wonderful in the fact that he was raised from the dead and is now sitting at the right hand of our Father in heaven. This is what all of Christianity is based upon, because through Jesus, his resurrection, we all have the hope of being resurrected on the day of judgment. And Paul makes this very clear for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 19. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he has raised up Christ, who he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ was, is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Of course, Paul goes on to say that Jesus was raised from the dead, and each of us can take comfort in this, knowing that Jesus has overcome the grave, and that he has promised everyone who remains faithful to God a home in heaven. We can put our confidence and our trust in Jesus, knowing that he truly is our wonderful Savior who has redeemed us from our sins. Jesus is our only way that we can make it to heaven, and Jesus himself said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
And in Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You see, Jesus did his part. He gave up his glory. He came to earth as a servant, lived the perfect life, suffered the pain of the cross, and was raised from the dead. Now mankind has, now mankind has his part. We all must obey God's will in order to make it to heaven. Jesus also tells us in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus has told us several other things that we must do in order to make it to heaven. In John 8, 24, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe I am he, you will die in your sins. In Luke chapter 13, verse 3, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And in Matthew 10, verses 32 through 33, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Mark 16, verse 16, He who, believe, who, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. After a person is baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins, Jesus also says this in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. As I mentioned earlier, I hope that I've been able to share one morsel from God's word with you this morning. May you think on our wonderful Savior each day this coming week and each day of your lives. May you seek him, follow him, and desire to serve him. So if you're here this morning and are wanting to be baptized, be able to call heaven your home, then why not obey Jesus' commands this morning by believing in him, repenting, confessing, and being baptized for the remission of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ. Or if you're already a Christian, I hope that you use this lesson as a reminder of all the wonderful things that Jesus is to us, that he has done for us, and that you will be encouraged to remain faithful to him for the rest of your lives. Thank you.